Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to It's Not a Crisis. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I'm an entrepreneur, a mother of two, a wife, and a 40-something trying to figure out what is happening in this decade. Why is no one talking about it? I created this podcast to help women in their late 30s and 40s to figure out what is going on in our mind, body, soul, and life. We may laugh, we may cry, we may get frustrated, but most importantly, my goal is to make this next chapter of life positive. I'm also full of my own questions and I'm here to go on this journey with you. So let's do it together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. So today we have a guest who is returning, and I am so, so grateful, and I know a lot of you will be as well. This was probably one of our favorite episodes and one of our most downloaded episodes, episode 21, which was called Dealing with Emotional Immaturity. I had read Dr. Gibson's book a long time ago, and I have been almost shoving it in people's faces that I know would benefit from it in my own personal life. And they kind of poo-pooed me and said, yeah, okay, whatever, when I get to it. And I did this podcast and a few of my friends listened as well as many, many of you. And I got so many emails. I got phone calls, DMs, just saying, wow, that episode really, really struck something in me and made me understand so many relationships in my life. So I asked Dr. Gibson if she would please come back because I got a lot of requests of asking to specifically focus on relationships, partnerships, marriage, could be non-married, but uh, any any type of uh, relationship that you're in. So she graciously agreed and I'm so excited to have her here. I'm, I'm, I say this every week, but I'm genuine when I say I'm really excited. I think I just get really excited about my podcast, but I love my guests so much that maybe I, I get a little dramatic, but it, it's all genuine. So that being said, Lindsay Gibson it has been a clinical psychologist for over 30 years, specializing in helping people find their true selves and recover their self-esteem after dealing with emotionally immature people. Her psychotherapy work has included both public and private practice settings. She also was an adjunct assistant professor for many years, training doctoral students in a graduate psychology program. As an author, Dr. Gibson has written three books, Who You Were Meant to Be, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents and Recovering from Emotionally Immature Parents. Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents has been a five-star rated bestseller on Amazon in various categories with over 3,000 reviews and has been translated into 14 languages. And that's because it's phenomenal. You must read the book if you haven't already. Her next book, A Self-Care Companion for Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, will be released in fall 2021. So that is really exciting. If you haven't picked up the book from the last podcast, and if you're new to this podcast, welcome. Uh, I, I would suggest you listen to the first podcast If you're listening right now, you might want to stop and go back and listen to the other one. But Dr. Gibson, thank you for coming back. I'm so happy that you're here. Welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I was I was sitting here smiling uh, when you were talking about your excitement because that's how I feel about being on your program. We had such a good conversation last time, so I'm really looking forward to this. Oh, good. I mean, I, I sometimes I think people think I'm acting, but I'm not like that at all. I'm very yeah. genuine. So when I get excited, I get really excited. I actually, I, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I think in case somebody is listening for the first time, I think the best place for us to start is for you to just explain what emotional immaturity is in adults. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I was thinking that if people don't want to toggle back to the previous episode, we're certainly going to cover what emotional immaturity is in this podcast because you can't talk about relationships and what goes wrong in them and, you know, what it's like when it goes right 
without understanding what emotional immaturity is. So yeah, let's, let's talk about that. When you have emotional immaturity, think of it as a person who has stopped growing often because of trauma or neglect of some type or, you know, simple absence of good parenting in their own lives. But the person has stopped growing in the emotional arena. That is their ability to regulate their own emotions their ability to uh, have a a good sense of self-esteem are underdeveloped and they depend on other people to, to do those functions for them. They're like little children. Like if you think about how a three or a four year old is uh, (laughs) that that's a pretty good description of the, the egocentricity, the, the emotional reactivity the difficulty with seeing things from other people's points of view or being able to imagine that other people's needs are just as important as their own. Those are all things that characterize emotional immaturity. And one of the things that's really important to remember is that these people can develop just fine in other areas. Like their intellectual accomplishments, their academic prowess, their humor, their whatever, you know, these things can all develop on almost like separate tracks. But when it comes to emotionally intimate relationships and being able to uh, modulate their own emotional state, that's where you see uh, these signs of, of immaturity. So if you think about it, emotional immaturity is characterized by two main things. There's a lack of self-reflection. That is, the person does not ask themselves, hmm, did I contribute to this problem in some way? Do I need to change? Is there something that I might be doing in the relationship that's causing problems? So there's a lack of that, uh, no self-reflection. And they also tend to be quite unempathic. That is, they just don't try on the feelings of other people. They tend to overlook that or basically not to process it in the first place. And they tend to be insecure and defensive because remember, emotional immaturity usually occurs because there's been some kind of neglect or damage in their earlier life. And so they have like these emotional wounds that keep popping up and keep holding them back in the relationship. There's a fear of emotional intimacy. So even though things get very emotional and reactive with them, there really is a lack of true emotional intimacy. In other words, you don't feel deeply seen and understood by them. And they don't really open up to what's really going on with them. Instead, they're much more likely to project blame, see it as somebody else's fault, feel uh, like the victim. And so they really are very difficult to get truly close to. And they're also afraid of your emotions. So lots of times emotionally immature people will kind of cut short a discussion about how you're feeling or or what your experience was about something because they're just they're either not interested or it stirs up something in them that they have to shut down. And finally, they have a poor receptive capacity. That is even if they are distressed, you will find it hard to comfort them because that early wounding has made it so that they just can't receive the goodness when it comes in, because they're suspicious and wary of that. There's a, there's been a blow to their trust. And unfortunately, people who get involved with emotionally immature people often have this healing fantasy that they're going to be able to go in there and, and heal this wounding because they sense it, but you can't because this is something that that person has to work on within themselves. Oh, I I do want to mention one other thing, because this is, this is just a little practical thing, but they don't listen. Well, (laughs) when you're having a conversation, 
they'll be listening for a link back to them. So they're always, always waiting to, to see the place where they can get back to making it about them. And they also tend to listen for criticism or anything that they could take offense at. They have a, a like an exquisite radar uh, and they often take things the wrong way, getting defensive about stuff when that wasn't even the point of the, of the remark that you made. And they jump to conclusions. You know, you're hardly finished talking about what you want to say and they've already formed a conclusion and jumped on it, which makes communication very difficult. So that was a... Uh, sort of a uh, a racehorse version. No, but that's a, that's a great that that's a great description and your last point. Boy, do I know that well. Not not in my um spouse and someone else. Okay. Um but um it, it, that's that's that I think that was a really important point to bring up. And I think that that brings me to my next question, uh you know, why do certain people get attracted to emotionally immature people in the first place? What is it that draws them in. What What is the type of person that craves that type of relationship? Yeah, because after what I just described, you'd probably be wondering that exact thing. Like, uh, why would this person be attractive? But if you think about it, it's sort of like, why do we involuntarily smile at little children? It's the charisma of the self-absorbed. There's something that's magical about watching someone who is completely into themselves. It's very powerful. Like if you think about any kind of charismatic leader or uh, maybe a cult leader, their confidence and their confidence in their right to be the center of attention is magical. We, we are drawn to that in people. Uh, I mean, it's got to be a really, really old human thing. I mean, like, you know, going back eons, same thing with little children. We sense their vulnerability. And this isn't a conscious thing. We don't look at a powerful leader and say, oh, they're really emotionally vulnerable. But we sense it. There, there's, a, there's a little pathos behind all that, that uh, egocentrism that is very appealing to a kind-hearted person. Do you think also um, somebody who who may have been in a caregiver role their entire life and that's all they know, they, they sometimes feel that they can sort of save this person or, or be that person to kind of, I don't know what the, I don't know what the word is, but but take care of them? Absolutely. Yeah, I was just, I was just going to um, to add that, that when you grow up with emotionally immature parents or caretakers, you learn to put other people first because emotionally immature people have to be the most important person in the room. That's just the way they approach life. And so if you're the child of parents like that, you learn that everything revolves around keeping them calm and keeping them feeling good about themselves. So people often become, they learn to be responsible for other people's feelings. Uh, They learn to be exquisitely attuned to people's moods. You know, like, is mommy unhappy? Is daddy getting mad? Because these people are so emotionally reactive, just just like a four-year-old. And so the child is always walking on eggshells becoming hypervigilant as a survival mechanism within that kind of family system. And also, the children of emotionally immature parents get used to emotional loneliness. That becomes a constant state, kind of like you just don't notice that you're lonely anymore, except that it forms a backdrop to your childhood existence. And many people have responded to that first chapter in the book, the adult children book, about emotional loneliness. Because I think it's something that they have felt their whole life. Because, you know, remember, the emotionally immature person isn't really interested in getting to know you. And everything is about them. So when you do that to your child, your child ends up feeling like, I must not be very important. I must not be very lovable. And that's just a hop, skip, and a jump from I must not be any good or there's something wrong with me. So 
they learn to be satisfied with loneliness. So it doesn't strike them as odd when they get involved with an emotionally immature person in their adult life who isn't really that interested in them and who demands a lot of attention and care from them emotionally. And they just don't expect to be seen, heard, known, supported, understood. That, that, that's not part of their expectation from childhood. And the other thing is that emotionally mature uh, parents use what I call coercive affects, meaning uh, co- coercive feelings. They make the child feel guilty, ashamed, fearful, and full of self-doubt. Okay, so you put those feelings together and that's a child who tends to be easily controlled because they're off balance all the time. Right. They're 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 worried about stuff and that develops a kind of a, a survival personality in the child where they're always trying to prove that they're good. You know, they they become self-sacrificing. They become very attuned to people. They develop this kind of false social self that pleases people, that makes people want to be around them. But they lose that experience of being able to just be themselves. And the other thing that happens is that the child learns to shut down, become immobilized, and let the parents take over. You know, so they don't, if there's a a contest, you know, when the child is speaking up or demanding or having an insistent need, the child learns that they will never win. So they become, they become fearful and they become immobilized and that carries over into adult relationships. And finally, the, the children begin to lose trust in their own inner world and their inner guidance. So they stop paying attention to those signals that would say, huh, you know, this guy is really not treating me very well. Or this woman is like constantly accusing me of things or blaming me for stuff that I'm not doing. That ability to tune into your own instincts, that has been oftentimes shut down in childhood. And that's a big part of what we should be doing in psychotherapy with people who have this background is enabling them to begin to trust those inner signals that will tell them when something doesn't feel good. That's very interesting to me and makes a ton of sense in so many ways. But what if you, you know, I I can name a couple friends who have parents that we're not emotionally immature, who have very good marriages and, and were pretty amazing parents, and yet they may have gotten into relationships with an emotionally immature par- um, um, spouse or boyfriend. For that type of person, what is that usually about? Is it is it insecurity? Is it is it just, you know, have you seen anything like that in your practice? Yeah, yeah. What I suspect is going on there is that the experience that that child, you know, the friend had with, with her parents or his parents, that is not necessarily what it appeared to be because you can say, Oh, I came from this stable home. My parents loved each other. They had a good marriage. You know, there was no divorce. There was no abuse. There's no whatever. And it's like, Hmm, what must be you. Right. (laughs) Um, Right. But we're talking about matters of the heart here. And we're talking about things almost like at the soul level, like was that parent able to go deep enough to make that connection with the child where they really saw that child as a unique individual who had her own or his own thoughts, feelings, and experience of life? Did that child feel seen? Because there are a lot of people out there who are really, you know, perfectly nice people. They have long marriages. They're upstanding in the community. They have a lot of friends. They're very accomplished. But we're talking about stuff that is not so easily seen. It's like the quality of eye contact. It's the stopping and listening to the child. It's providing an emotional container for that child's emotional distress. 
so that the child feels understood. I mean, these are these are very subtle but very powerful indicators of a strong attachment early in life. And that sense of secure attachment is crucial to having good relationships later. Now, that's not to say that you can't learn to have good relationships. I don't mean to say that, but, you know, just, uh, you know, sort of coming out of the gate, are you, are you going to be primed to have good relationships? And so I would say that with people I've worked with that will reassure me immediately, oh, well, it's not my family, <laughs> had a happy childhood, my parents loved me, and so forth. But then mysteriously, they're with a partner who uh, is very difficult or is not satisfying to them. And then it's when you go into the inner experience. Remember, the, the adult children of emotionally immature parents have learned to tune out and mistrust their own inner instincts. So their inner world is not being brought in because they've learned that it won't do them any good, that it won't be received. So usually what ends up happening is that you start to then get into the subtleties of how they were they experienced connection or lack of connection. And I would say this in, in italics, at a deep enough level. That's so important. It's not that there was no connection. It's not that there was no attachment. It's just that for that particular child, the connection may not have felt deep enough to create a real strong sense of security. And then that gets played out later uh, in the adult relationships. And by the way, this is so helpful as a parent, too, because, you know, I'm listening going, uh oh, uh oh. And then you told me this, you told me this in the past. You said this, in, I think, in the last episode, or maybe it was in a private conversation. And you, you said, number one, you're aware. So the fact that you're aware, you're already winning, which is mm-hmm. for those moms out there who are going, oh, God, I do that. Oh, God, <laughs> you know, like I don't do that, or I need to do more right. of that. I think if you're aware and you're listening to this, you're trying to help yourself, and that is a step in the right direction. So Exactly. That's, that's, the, um, that's that one about self-reflection, which is the hallmark of emotional maturity. It's not that you never do anything wrong. It's not that you never miss a beat. It's that even if you do, you then come back and wonder, about whether that was something that you need to maybe go back and repair or what did that mean that you were doing that? You know, there, there's, you reflect on your own behavior. So nobody's perfect. Nobody's going to raise the perfect child or be the perfect mother. But if you have empathy for your child and you're self-reflective about your own behavior, you know, to me, that's 90% of it right there. I inject a little bit of myself in my podcast because I think it helps my listeners understand mm-hmm. that I'm a human being learning also myself mm-hmm. and um, along with them. And um, having, sorry, mom, but having a, a, an emotionally immature mother and father, um, it's amazing I picked such a normal, stable man for a husband. But, you know, they're definitely, over the years, I've been married almost 18 years, I felt my role from day one, we met when... Um, his mother was sick with cancer and she died, you know, right before we got engaged. And I think from day one, that need to take care of him in some ways was an attraction for me. And I've learned so much about myself since then, but I really wanted to just be there for him and, and you know, take, not take over the role of his mother because that's weird. And I, and I, I was aware of not doing that, but, but it did feel like I was put there to, to do that job mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm-hmm. And over the years I've worked very hard on, I think I, I think in the beginning of our marriage, I probably made a lot of mistakes of enabling certain things. And, and now in my forties, I'm starting to change. And, and as I'm doing my own work and recognizing that like, I can't, be the, you know, the caregiver for everybody's life all the time because you go into complete burnout. So 
I think if you're listening and you are that person, I think you can work on it. I think you need to have a good therapist to work on it. I, I, don't, I, I don't think it's so easy to do on your own. But, of course, you have Lindsay's books that could um, help you get started. So what are the main signals of, of emotional immaturity early in a relationship? So I just, you know, I, I just explained that. And I, I definitely, my husband is not emotionally immature. I think he... Um, I think he's very independent. I think he likes, to, like uh, like a lot of men, sorry guys, if you're listening, uh, which most likely aren't, you know, they like to be taken care of. And then a woman tends to fall into that role of being caretaker. But we go, this goes deeper. So, so what are some signals that you would notice early in a relationship? I have to start this off with um, a little story about uh, my best friend. And she is back on the dating scene after... Uh, quite a a long marriage and uh, divorce and whatever. And she's been, she's a psychologist too. And she's been fascinated by, uh, (laughs) you know, the, the responses of people on dating sites. For instance, um, she was saying that, you know, it's just amazing. And in this case, of course, she's dating, she's looking for prospective male partners, but she was saying, it's amazing how they only talk about themselves and they're not asking me any questions about me. By the way, my husband did that on our first date. And on our third <laughs> our third date, I looked at him and I said, I feel like we've been married for 10 years. And I, and there was no fourth date. And and then we <laughs> and then and then now we've been married almost 18 years. And I'm like, same thing's happening at the dinner table. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Just it, enjoy it, silence. <laughs> yeah. It's um, you know, we have to really have to cut the guys a break here because you know, they're socialized to be overconfident and to make it about them and to, you know, sort of demonstrate their plumage by, you know, explaining things or taking over or talking. That is something that is very enculturated in males. It's like, act like you're an alpha, even if you're not. And that that can be something that a person can, that can be a matter of how the person was socialized as a male. But the question becomes when you say, I feel like we've been, you know, dating for, uh, or we've been married for 10 years. Does the person say, "Uh Oh, (laughs) what do you mean? (laughs) What are you saying? And then they can reflect on their own behavior and say, you know, I, th- I think you're right. I think. <laughs> Do you know what his response was? What? Well, I I just feel really comfortable with you. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, mm, that wasn't what I wanted to hear. I'm like, I'm glad you're so comfortable that you don't have to talk or ask me anything on our third date. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that we have to keep in mind that, you know, guys get, get enculturated into, you know, taking on that, that mansplaining thing. But anyway, uh, back to the. Yeah, I, want, I want you to go back to your friend's story. <laughs> so she she was on a date, and and sorry, I interrupted. So no, 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 no. It's just it's just that she was just noticing how uh, the guys weren't asking her things, and this was still at the stage of being on emails. You know, like how hard is it to ask questions on emails? Not very, right? But they weren't doing it. So one of the things about emotional immaturity is that it stays about them. It keeps coming, keeps coming back to what they're interested in and uh, kind of a self-preoccupation and that lack of real curiosity about you as a person. There's also a tendency to be emotionally reactive. Now, we don't think about that as something with guys because we, we think about emotional reactivity with somebody throwing plates or, you know, screaming or, you know, those kind of dramatic things. But what I'm talking about is when the person reacts strongly to things, like you see a shadow pass over their face or their jaw clenches, or it doesn't have to be a big deal, but you can see that they're having a strong reaction to, to something. And it could be you, it could be the waiter, it could be a news story, doesn't matter what it is, but it's a reactivity that doesn't bode well um, for for the future. Another thing is that they will, if you listen to what they're saying, there will be a kind of a theme of blame or projection. Like 
you know, let me tell you how bad my boss is. Let me tell you what a witch my, you know, first wife was. Let me tell you how I got screwed in the custody. Mm -hmm. There's a theme of victimization. And again, if you think about people who grew up with emotionally immature parents, this is something they know how to respond to. They know to be supportive. They know to be sympathetic. They know to nurture, you know, all those things. But this as a steady diet for the rest of your life is it's just going to be a, a, a plate of frustration. The other thing that uh, they try to do in small or big ways is they will try to control you, maybe make suggestions or argue a little bit about something. If you want to do something that, that they don't want to do or vice versa, they will kind of try to pull you along with them in a way that, again, may be misinterpreted as, you know, that kind of attractive alpha confidence. But if they're not respecting what you say that you want to do or don't want to do, and they keep pushing on that, that's a sign of emotional immaturity because that's what four-year-olds do. You tell them no, and then they argue with you, and you tell them no again, and they keep on, tell them no again, and they have a tantrum Okay, so they don't respond to boundaries and they often will try to talk you out of your position. And again, to people who have grown up with parents who don't pay enough deep connection attention to them, this can feel like, oh, this person really wants to be with me or this person is really putting a lot of energy into this relationship. But you have to ask yourself, are they putting energy into building the relationship or are they putting energy into controlling me or trying to get me to be what they need? That's a, that's a really important question. And then uh, the other thing is, do they make you feel like you are a person, like an, like an entity, a, a, a unique feeling individual, like my same friend who was dating, (laughs) went out with one guy on a blind date and he like couldn't keep his eyes off her chest. So she ends up feeling like an it, not a person, like an, she feels like an object with, with that kind of guy, that feeling that someone is looking into your, uh, kind of looking into your individuality, into your your uniqueness is very, very important because it means that they have gotten out of themselves enough to be able to imagine that you're a real person too, and then respond to you out of that as opposed to what they're hoping you will be or what they think you should be. And and I want to make it clear that we're not just talking about men and women, you know, homosexual relationships, heterosexual relationships, this can apply to anybody. My husband, um, very early in our relationship, well, he's a little, he's a little neurotic. um, And with that comes caretaking in some ways, you know, because he, he, wants little OCD, wants to make sure everything is sort of done in a certain way. And and for many years, I, I really struggled. And, and it was not his intention at all, but I felt infantilized. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Infantilized by mm-hmm. him? And it would be simple things like, did you lock the car door as after we walked out of the car? And I'd be like, uh, yeah, I locked the mm-hmm. car door. You know, I lived a life before you existed and I locked the <laughs> car door. Or, you know, little things like that. And and really, for him, it was just his kind of, you know, somewhat OCD self needing to double check. But that came out in many ways over the years and to a point where I blew and I was like, I am making, I am an extraordinarily competent human being that does not need to be made to feel that way. In the beginning, I think I was attracted to that because I was, I mean, I, I met him when I was 21. In the beginning, I was attracted to that because I was so used to being the caretaker that it felt like somebody was taking care of me and, uh, you know, I liked it until I didn't like it. And then, and now I really don't like it. He's really worked hard on it. And um, I give him so much credit because he's just done it on his own. But that's just an example in case you're listening and uh, you feel the same way. Lots of times uh, guys are doing that kind of thing because, again, they have been 
tasked with making sure that everything turns out all right. So you can call that protectiveness, you can call it OCD, you can call it whatever you want to call it. But there is a male thing, particularly in in, um, guys who have been like the older child or the oldest child in the family system, because they learn that part of being male is to take responsibility for everything. And if something doesn't work out or something gets, you know, like somebody doesn't lock a door, it's going to come back to him because he's in the position of being the protector. You you may be in the position of the caretaker, you get get drawn into that, but he gets drawn into the thing about being the protector and making sure that nothing bad happens on his watch. That's a really male thing. And it can come across in a, you know, in in a, uh, emotionally healthy, emotionally mature person, that behavior of, you know, nothing bad better happen on my watch, that comes across as, you know, maybe being controlling or uh, disrespectful. But you can tell the difference when you confront them about it, if they apologize, if they say, oh, yeah, I see why you would be upset by that. Okay, I'm going to try not to do that. Or they say, you know, defensively, well, you leave the door unlocked and the other day you did this and the other day you did that and they get very defensive. That's the the difference in how they respond to your feedback is the indicator of the maturity. It's not whether or not they do that. Right. No, no, that, that's, that's, that was very helpful to hear that. So how do you work with your emotionally immature partner or friendship, whatever? You know, this can relate to, to any, you know, relationship in general. Can these relationships be improved? And then I have a follow-up question to that, but if you could answer that first. Yeah. No, of course they can. Um, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the whole idea, not only behind psychotherapy or marriage therapy, but behind the idea of people can change and people can learn. Of course, we've had all these incredible studies relatively recently in terms of neuroplasticity and how people can actually change how they think and how they react to things through different modalities. It's, It's really amazing. So yes, of course they can change. The, the issue becomes how you understand where their behavior is coming from. Because if you think that, let's say that, let's say that you're with an emotionally immature partner. And again, it doesn't make any difference about gender, sexual orientation, nothing. Just think we're talking about people here. So if you're in a relationship with a person, whoever it is, then if that person is emotionally immature, you have to keep in mind that there is a reason why their development kind of got stuck in that early childhood phase. And it, it's going to be something that has to do with neglect, emotional neglect, not a deep, deep enough connection, or it could be trauma. Okay. So when you have a person who has that vulnerability in their personality and they do something that you don't like, and then you sort of say to yourself, well, it's my right to pop off and tell them whatever I think, you know, cause that's, that's a spontaneous natural relationship. Okay. Well, <laughs> if you do that with an emotionally immature person, you are going to get a really defensive response. And that person is going to become more emotionally reactive, less able to hear you, and it it won't go well. Who's to say what's fair and what isn't fair in relationships, but you may end up doing more emotional work in the relationship and more self-containment just to work with that person to, to stay calm when you are telling them about things that you need them to change or things that have hurt you. And the other thing is it's important to keep those feedback sessions short and very specific about the particulars because you always want the um, emotionally mature person 
to have a path forward. This is, we, we forget this all the time in our relationship communications. We come out swinging with criticism or I didn't like what you did, or you made me feel this, blah, blah, blah. Right. But it goes so much better if you say, and I was wondering, can I ask you the next time when that happens to say this instead or to do this instead? So you, you may bring up the issue, but you don't make it like a trap that they, they, they're now caught in. You walk them out of how they can do better next time. And that's, you know, that's just good communication and good interpersonal kindness, you know, with anybody, but it's, it's crucial with emotionally immature people who are so sensitive to any kind of criticism or uh, disruption in the emotional acceptance of them. So that's, that's one thing that you have to keep in mind that their self-esteem is very tenuous and that their emotional stabilization is also pretty insecure. And you're working with them to keep it short and solution-oriented because that keeps things calm. The other thing is that you can be a relation, what I call a relationship leader. And that is when you espouse values and ways of behaving that are constructive and healthy in relationships. Like it doesn't, it doesn't help us do anything when you storm out of the house and clo- and slam the door. That's not a way to resolve a relationship issue. We need to communicate. If you need to leave, could you just say to me, I need some space and then we'll come back to it later. But can we agree that you won't leave the house and slam the door because that makes me feel terrible. You know, so you're working with them in a way that you're not blaming them. You're not assaulting their, their self-esteem or their security. And you're giving them principles of, you know, good relationship behavior or communication as a way of giving them alternative behaviors which lots of times emotionally mature people have not learned how to treat other people in empathic ways. And that's because they haven't experienced it themselves, probably. I think for my last question, um, which I think is the question that everybody has, is, is what goes into having a rewarding, mostly happy, because nobody's happy all the time, relationship. I understand that that's a broad question and it's different for every person, but I do think it's a question that everybody wants to know. There are moments, you know, you sit with your girlfriends and you bitch about your spouses and I'm sure they've sit and bitch about us and that's kind of part of marriage. But, you know, I think that overall, especially at our age, um, my demographic of women, our kids are getting older. They're starting to get closer to leaving the house and we want to make sure that our marriages are in a good place. And, and I think now is a good time to actually start getting there. Because I think when your kids are little, like your your marriage just mm-hmm. comes last. Mm-hmm. I think as they get older, you start reconnecting. And so uh, I think that question of, you know, what goes into having a happy relationship, if you have the answer to that, maybe you don't. No, I, I, I have, uh, I have an answer to that. Okay, good. <laughs> because, because, you know, when, when I'm working with people in psychotherapy and let's say they're talking about a new relationship or, you know, whatever it is that they're, they're talking about, I'm always listening with that, with that ear, like, um, are they dealing with an emotionally immature person? In which case we really need to do some psychoeducation so they know what they're dealing with. That doesn't mean that they break up with them or whatever, but it will help them to understand where this behavior is coming from and why it's occurring. Okay. So yeah, I'm always comparing it to what would happen in a rewarding, mostly happy relationship. So yes, I, I, I have to have that to, to compare to. And, and in a, in a emotionally mature enough, I should say relationship, because nothing's perfect. You want two people who can imagine 
the world of the other person, like be in their shoes. This is so basic, right? But so crucially important. And people forget to do it because we're in such an individualistic society. It's like, I get to say what I want. I have the right of free expression. And, you know, they, they get all entitled about their ability to be, you know, uh, their own individual self. But what they've found is that uh, John Gottman um, and his uh, partner have done a lot of research on which relationships seem to, to last and work well. And what they found is basically that the two people are respectful of each other and they're nice to each other. They observe the most basic rules of good and polite communication, like they let the other person finish talking before they jump in. Uh, If the other person says something, makes a comment, they respond to it. They don't just blow it off. If the other person is excited about something, they mirror that excitement and join in with them. If the other person says something that they think is, you know, maybe not the uh, brightest thing they've ever heard, they don't make a sarcastic belittling comment. They just say, oh, hmm, oh, never thought about it that way. (laughs) They're, They're kind to each other, but the kindness comes from being emotionally mature enough to be empathetic, to, to imagine what it's like to be in the other person's shoes, and that the other person has their own history, their own reasons for how they behave, and that they're different, that they're that other person is a different reality. Because emotionally immature people just think that whatever it is that they feel where they think is the way it ought to be. They don't have the ability to respect differences. They get very um, socked into their own viewpoint. But in a happy, rewarding relationship, both people can imagine what it's like to be the other person. And they see that. They're interested in that. And they have a sense of, well, they they love that. Uh, even even the little quirks and things, they, they appreciate the individuality of the other person. And then the other thing is that they can be flexible. They aren't, you know, just locked and loaded into their own viewpoint. They can shift. They can consider another viewpoint. There's a flexibility that happens between happy people where they allow each other to be themselves And they conduct their communications in a way that seeks information, doesn't instead of jumping to conclusions. So it's it's a very different feeling to be with somebody who has enough inner structure, enough maturity in their personality to handle stress, to handle disappointment, to handle frustration without taking it out on someone else. That may need to be your next book. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you can write a whole book on that, but I don't know. Yeah, and and also can be patient and tolerant of the other person because that's one thing that emotionally immature people do not do. They're they're lousy with patience because of their immaturity, just like a four-year-old has lousy patience. They just don't see why they can't, have this right away. But people who are happy with each other and they're in a rewarding relationship can be patient. They they have the stress tolerance to let the other person be themselves and they can handle it because they've got this inner structure that makes them a complete person within themselves before the partner ever came along. They're not scared of your feelings. In other words, You can express your feelings to them in a very vulnerable way. You can be upset. You can be sensitive, whatever the state is. And they are not scared by that or turned off by that because they accept it as you and they probably find it interesting, okay, because they want to get to know you better and better. I should probably star that and underline that. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that quality 
of looking, of feeling like someone is looking into you and finding you interesting and wanting to know more about you. That is like, that's it right there. And retain and retaining it. And retaining I think, it. Yes. You know, right. somebody mm-hmm. could look at, somebody can stare at you and pretend they're interested all they want, but if it's the things they remember, yeah. uh, that, that I think is, is really important and means a lot to, you know, um, Dorian, I just, you just made me think that it's also that they're changed by you. Yeah. You know, it's like something shifts in them uh, when they truly understand something about you and there's a, cha- there's a kind of a change that happens. I don't mean their whole personality changes. I just mean that they allow themselves to be affected by you and you can feel it when that's happening with a person. It's a wonderful feeling. I like to think of that as it's sort of like you have had an impact on them because they want you to have an impact on them. You've changed something in them. You know, it's very subtle, but but they're willing to be affected by you. And they take stuff in and they do stuff with it inside that can actually change them or can make it so that they they know you better and they remember stuff about you. So that probably more than anything is the hallmark of being with an emotionally mature person who, you know, has that kind of curiosity and interest in you. And this is such a great piece of advice for women that are dating right now, because I, you know, I do have um, a significant amount of single women uh, on my podcast, whether they're divorced or have never been married and are kind of trying to figure out, like, why can't I find love? And, And, you know, I think sometimes it's searching within yourself and what you're looking for and maybe not knowing um, what you're looking for on the other end, which, by the way, could be another podcast with you if you're interested. <laughs> no, well, we're doing podcasts for single women that are dating and figuring out what's happening yeah. and what you're, what you're trying to yeah. avoid. But uh, as usual, I, I just love our conversations. Again, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so, so grateful for your time. I've just loved this today, Doran. I appreciate so much having the opportunity to talk with you. And hopefully our conversation will be helpful to people out there. I think it will be very, very helpful. Thank you again. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to give yourself permission and know that you are not alone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reviews are always appreciated. And you can reach me by email at it's not a crisis at Gmail, Instagram, it's not a crisis podcast, and please join our Facebook group as well. Until next time, just remember, it's not a crisis. 